This episode of the Past Podcast is sponsored by Suvi Tools to raise awareness for hospitality action. So the aim of this episode is to give you an idea of the Rugby Legends event and all the other events that Hospitality Action host. Hospitality Action is a charity that's set up to help support the hospitality industry, dealing with problems like addiction, depression, anxiety, violence and other big issues that face hospitality day in, day out. And in fact, my first interview is with Mark Lewis, the CEO of Hospitality Action. You do a regular podcast around hospitality, I, I gather. That's correct, yeah. So I started, I started it last year um, okay. and obviously sort of uno- from an unofficial role, I did a podcast of the Seven Chefs yeah. event, yeah. obviously, which was for Hospitality Action. Um, and that's kind of how I became aware of uh, the sort of, obviously I was already aware of you, uh, the organisation, but more, I guess, aware that the paths could combine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I yeah. guess it's, it's really interesting, obviously, to, I've never worked, uh, you know, in the, in kitchens or in hospitality, but it's, you know, it's interesting because it, there are so many challenges that that industry face. And, Absolutely, and obviously, Absolutely. what you guys do then is is so important. Yeah, thank you. I, th- I think it really is. Yeah, it's it, it's um, it, as you said, it's an industry. People work hard and play hard. Um, they work in pressure situations, uh, and um, yeah, for all sorts of reasons, um, they, they they do come across um, a lot of crisis points um, in, in their lives, and they, you know, we're here to help, fortunately. It's also sort of an industry that's under quite a lot of pressure at the moment, it seems. Hospitality is going through difficult times at the moment. Uh, Obviously, uh, Brexit is is focusing people's minds. Um, I don't think we're going to find that we get to the nuclear option where where the government turns off the... uh, the tap of, of skills uh, and workers from overseas, but clearly, um, while while we don't know what's going to happen, there is a certain amount of um, of, of concern. Um, I think that that's what's driving people uh, in the industry to reach out to their local communities more. I think I think people are realising that that needs to be the way forward. We need to we need to get more young people in the UK, not just young people, returners to work. Uh, people coming out of the prisons uh, to, to consider hospitality as a career of choice, um, and I think it's fair to say that we don't really have a, a fantastic uh, service culture in the UK. If you go to France or Italy, uh, then you know it's considered a great profession to work uh, uh, work in front of house, work in service. But uh, that's not the case here. Uh, I think people have images of. Downton Abbey and people below stairs when they think of service. So, uh, you know, I think it's really important that the industry uh, reaches out and, and together tries to tell that that, that joined up message that, that there is a fantastic uh, profession to be, there is a fantastic career to be built in hospitality. And I guess that's where HA comes in, where hospitality action comes in, where, where there is a, a safety net for people who work in the industry. Um, so if, if you're considering a career or if your parents or careers advisors are, are thinking maybe there's a career for you in hospitality, we give that surety that, um, that if you enter the industry, there's a safety mechanism for you, and if you if you fall on hard times uh, or come across challenges, there is an organisation uh, in existence that can help 
you through those times. You know, what interests me is uh, obviously when I'm doing my podcasts, you, you know, you want a, you want names attached to it that have gravitas. And obviously you're going to be doing the same when you put events together. But I think it's easy for me to forget that all of the chefs that I talk to, they have been there, they have been working these ridiculous hours. Otherwise, they you know, they wouldn't be at the level that they're at. And, and they will have faced some of the struggles that hospitality action deals with day in day out yeah i think that's a fair comment i think they've all put the hours in if we're talking specifically chefs then i mean you know everybody in hospitality works damn hard but they work at different times of the day and different times of the week maybe if you work in contract catering then it's possible you work monday to friday so that's a slightly different dynamic but if we're talking chefs yeah they've all they've all been through through that process it's it's a tough um it's a tough uh, progression to go through, and the um, I think one of the great things about hospitality is that you can you can build a great career for yourself, a good salary, a good uh, profile through through hard work and dedication. But you do need to put in those hours. You need to put in your your training days, and uh, you need to work damn hard. And you won't necessarily be getting great money at the outset, but um, but they're all cognizant of that, and I think that's why they like to come back and help hospitality action because they know that they they've been there. They've gone through that process where it's hard work and it's it's energised, but it's you know the levels of stress are high, um, and it, it, it's too easy to to fall off the wagon. It's too easy to to go for beers at midnight and then and a kebab and you know just not live the sort of life that that, that you should be living. It, it's easy between uh, split uh, split shifts to head down to the bookies and put a bet on just to pass the time before dinner service begins and uh, I think that's why people get involved because they've seen it themselves and, and, and they probably still see it in their brigades now they know that uh, uh, you know but for the grace, grace of God um, the people around their teams could be could be prey to some of the uh, some of the uh, the problems that, that we all face in life is there one sort of biggest issue if you like that you know you feel like you if we could if we could capture that if we could conquer that or approach that in a different way we would solve a lot of the the percentage of of sort of stuff that we're dealing with or is it because it's so human it's really really vast yeah that's a really interesting question i i think the latter is certainly true i think um uh, you know, there's, there's, depending on whose figures you believe, there's, there's 2.6, 3.5 million people working in UK hospitality. Um, once you've got that many people, by the law of averages, you'll be seeing all of the issues that affect humankind in generally, whether it's in general, whether it's ill health, physical ill health, mental ill health, whether it's uh, problems around addiction or bereavement or financial problems or legal problems or marital or family problems, uh, bullying, domestic abuse sexual harassment, all these things that face humankind are clearly going to face people uh, in the hospitality industry because there's so many people. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's a little bit of everything, really, that we help with at HA. But um, I guess addiction is something we come back to uh, and and that sort of a problem. Um, I think also mental health can be an issue and the, the uh, professional kitchen can be quite a quite a, a macho environment. I think it's a very hard place sometimes for people to, to 
mess up and say, actually, do you know, I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the uh, the pressure and it's getting me down. Uh, so that's something that we focus on a lot at HA is, is just uh, helping people understand that, that there shouldn't be a taboo around talking about mental health issues, and, and it's something that you can get help for. And I guess it's sort of easy sometimes maybe to forget the severity of that when when so all I sort of saw before of hospitality action was this incredible event and what you then have to use these events for which is what I learned while I was there it is to raise awareness as much as it is to raise cash right you're absolutely right you're absolutely right. We need cash to do what we do. Um, we need to uh, generate funds through fundraising uh, in order to uh, to help people through grants and counselling and, and, and all the other services we offer. Um, but the way we do that is by is by raising awareness and showing that uh, that we exist. And, and you know, people who work very hard in hospitality uh, they have their heads down, um, and so it's important for us to remind them from time to time that we're here and that we're here to help them maybe potentially but we're certainly here to help their their friends their 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 team members their their employees so um so i think everything ha does needs to be about getting that message and reinforcing that message uh, at every turn and that's something that i'm going to be really focusing on this year uh, telling stories about uh, the sorts of people that we're helping uh, and I want to really focus on resolution I think uh, uh, for me HA is about getting people back on track, it's about helping them deal with the issues that, that face them um, and then getting them healthy uh, and happy and also work ready because that, that's, that's what makes the world go round, if, if people are work ready then um, that's mean that their careers are moving on that their lives are progressing they're able to pay the bills um, but also it means that employers uh, see the productivity they need to to keep the uh, the industry moving on. I mean, let's let's talk about the the rugby legends event because as a as a massive foodie and also a massive sports fan, it sort of seems to me that there must have been somebody else in the office who shares the same passions as me and went, Do you know what? It'd be great if I could meet <laughs> uh, people in both of the industries that I'm passionate about. Yeah, well, do you know, I'm I'm a big rugby fan. I'm a, I'm a Welshman and, and a big rugby fan, so so this rings all the bells to me. I'm looking forward to it for that reason. I think we're we're, we're very much supported by the. Um, the fundraising committees we have around the country. We have a, a fundraising board in, in the Northwest. Uh, we have a, a, a London fundraising board um, and then one in the Southwest, which has been driving the rugby legends dinner. Um, that's chaired by Jackal Richard Ball. He runs Colcott Manor Hotel in the Cotswolds. Uh, and it has some uh, some really eminent figures from hospitality uh, on the board. So it was them, it was they that came to us and said, look, we've got this idea. Deer Park will we'll, we'll help um, with with the with the venue um, and so they pulled it together but yeah I think it's about finding it's finding that sweet spot so that people living in that location in that locale will think well that's a good cause but also it looks like a hell of a good night out and, and I think you know having people like Jeremy Guscott and um David Flatman and Phil Vickery there will 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 that will well it certainly is driving real interest and it's it's interesting to see those sort of two worlds collide because obviously those the, the rugby players are so synonymous with competition but actually what's come out throughout the chats that the listeners are about to listen to because you're going to be the, the lead interview and then we'll go into the full episode is there's quite a lot of competition between the chefs and they all want to make the best dish for the night Yes, indeed. 
I, I think there's, there's always healthy competition among chefs. There's also great banter uh, when, when you get chefs together in a, in a room or in a kitchen. Um, and uh, they'll have a, a final time through the afternoon and, and through the evening. So um, I'm sure there'll be an element of trying to get the, uh, trying to knock out the best course. Um, but, but also, I think they, they treat it as just a, a social event for themselves as well. I've been to a lot of these sorts of events now for HA and other, uh, other organisations. And you can see how much they enjoy it. Um, so I, I think I like to think it works both ways. That they're they're giving their time and, and they're very generous in, in in doing so, and we appreciate that. But also, I think they they have a they have a good time while they're doing it. But you're not you're not going to judge on the night then and, and tell one of them finally that they are the winner. <laughs> let, let them... <laughs> it's a nice idea, yeah. Rather you than me, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I was just I about I'll, to say I'll give that. that a I think, yeah, I, you know, I think people people <laughs> will be happy to try different types of uh, of cooking, different uh, cuisines, and, and different flavours from from different hands. Uh, and I think that's the fun of it, really. That you know, it's probably not a question of dishes being better or worse than others. It, it's more that you're going to have you're going you're gonna to get to sample uh, different, different types of, of cooking from, from different figures. So in terms of, because a lot of them, are, again, have spoken about sort of working to briefs for, for this event. So who sort of, who decides, whose job is it painstakingly to decide which chef is going to cook which course? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I, uh, I, I wasn't involved. Um, I, I joined the cage, uh, I joined... Um, I joined Hospitality Action uh, just at the beginning of the year, uh, and this was up and running already. So uh, I would imagine it was uh, it was a collaboration between the fundraising team here and the Southwestern Board. Um, I would imagine also the chefs would have had their views on what they wanted to do. Um, so yeah, I, I would imagine it was a collaborative effort um, between those three sets of people to say who fancies doing what, um, and, uh, and and they they pulled the um, the menu together accordingly. And the, the great thing about events like this is it's always a, a great way for for foodies like myself to not only be familiar with the chefs and sometimes, you know, again, I'm thinking about that Seven Chefs event where you get to see the chefs sort of a bit more up close and personal, but it's, it's also a chance where, you know, I don't often get the chance being in Leeds to when Michael Wignall was up at Raby Hunt or, you know, it's a chance to try that chef's food on the night that you might not have a chance to sort of get around to their restaurant later on in the year exactly that exactly that yeah I think we've got uh, we've got a, a gang of really really good really eminent chefs together on one night so if you're anywhere near Deer Park uh, and A you fancy a good night out which will be good fun there'll be lots of rugby banter um, but B if you fancy trying a, a range of cuisines uh, or culinary approaches then that's the place to be and, and yes you're right yeah, people increasingly uh, are keen to, to sample the, the dishes of the people that they're reading about in, in, in periodicals or seeing on Saturday Kitchen or whatever it might be. Um, and also, I think they want to get closer to people. I, I, I think you only have to look at Twitter nowadays to see how uh, people want to have a relationship and a rapport with chefs and restaurateurs. It's, it's not simply nowadays that they want to buy a cookery book with their name on the front. They actually want to have a, an engagement. So you see a lot, of, a lot of Twitter banter from people getting in touch with chef proprietors saying, thanks ever so much. I had a great time last night and I think that two-way process is then brought to life even further uh, when somebody comes to an event because the chefs will be visible they'll be they'll be out and about they'll come out and present at the end of the evening and take the applause and there'll be guests who want to go backstage and or 
or behind the pass and, and, and see what's going on in the kitchen. So it, it breaks down those barriers, I think, as well as giving, me, giving people a chance to, to try food that they may not come across otherwise. So apart from obviously buying tickets to the event, what are the other ways that people like myself and, and the people that are supporting Hospitality Action, what, what other ways can we support the charity? Uh, as uh, as uh, hospitality professionals or as as people generally, give me both if you like. Mm, mm, okay. Well, hospitality professionals can can, can support HA in, in so many ways. Uh, firstly, employers are able to buy into our EAP product. Uh, that's our Employee Assistance Program, which is a care program. It's a packet of a package of, of services and benefits which employers can buy on behalf of their employees. Um, so it's sort of formalising uh, a lot of the services that we that we offer at HA um, and putting them together in a, in a corporate uh, package. So that's one way of employers getting involved and actually purchasing this product, which they can then roll out across their teams. Um, and then I guess day by day, week by week, it's about uh, a million and one things it could be that you uh, decide to, to do a sponsored cycle ride. There's a lot of cycling going on nowadays, a lot of a lot of men in Lycra, um, and, and, and me that continue because they're raising great funds for HA. Um, some people decide to put a pound uh, on on a bill, or they might uh, create uh, a specific uh, dish for a month and say, right, the the profits or some of the profits from that specific dish will go to HA. So there are all sorts of ways of, of, of fundraising, both from a corporate and a, an individual perspective. And what's the best way to sort of find out how you can get involved with the charity and get in contact with yourselves? Yeah, well, we'd love to reach out to people. So uh, I guess the first thing I'd say is um, we, we, we love people to, to drop us a, uh, an email or come to the website and register so that we can uh, put them onto our database and then they'll know what, what's going on, where and when. Um, so that's probably the first point of call. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, no, not at all. Like, that's been okay. Like I've said to the chefs, I've really enjoyed chatting about this event. Obviously, it's the, the frustrating part being based in Leeds is that I'm not going to be able to get there, um, but I shall, I shall follow the event very closely I shall look forward to pictures from the event and uh, you know I wish you all the best of luck and thank you for for organising it thank you for taking part in the past podcast oh listen really good to talk to you and uh, and, yeah thanks for your support have a good afternoon you too cheers so this is the first of two specials for the rugby legends dinner for hospitality action and I'm going to jump around the menu getting different chefs to make the audio more exciting so my first chat is with Nathan Outlaw so how did, how did your involvement with uh, with the Rugby Legends event come about? Well, I've been doing stuff with Hospitality Action, you know, um, over the years. Um, and the current sort of, like, head of fundraising, uh, Stuart Matheson, who's in the southwest, was, uh, was sort of like the guy that sort of started the whole ball rolling and with this with, with this event. And he's a, he's a good friend of mine. So, you know, when he asked me, I had no other choice but to say yes, obviously. <laughs> he's a good friend. But, you know, he's always really good to to be involved in, you know, in, in, in anything to do with hospitality actually is such an important uh, charity um, that, you know, that sort of supports my industry, you know, in such a way that, you know, um, there's nobody else that does does what they do. So it's, it's just, you know, it's one of the things that you have to sort of, you know, it's my, you know, it's my, my duty, I feel, to, to give back to events like this. I also kind of 
speak to quite a lot of people um i I covered the seven chefs event which was for hospitality action um and i and i kind of feel like especially you as a as a a head chef across multiple you know restaurants you must have come into contact with people that hospitality action have helped yeah no no definitely well it's it's a very sort of obviously a, a confidential charity so you don't really hear um, of cases, you know, officially that you've, um, you know, they, we all know that I think it's having having someone or having someone to talk to yourself or someone to talk or to, to push other people towards to talk to, um, whether it be, you know, from any problem you've got, you know, drug-related, alcohol-related, um, sort of, you know, just it can be anything really. And I, I think um, we're very lucky um, to, uh, very fortunate to have a charity like hospitality action sort of sort of um, backing the industry up in, in, from that point of view um and it's uh, and i'm not sure it's the same for other industries but it's it, you know it, it really sort of you know it does help and i think if you didn't have it it would be be a lot of problems obviously as well you know you're you're a chef whose career that i've followed for many years now and with that become comes a lot of experience and i wondered what your sort of take was on on the unique challenges that face the industry i think well the, the unique industry you know the challenges of the many in regards to sort of you, you want about with staffing and things like that or with um yeah with yeah, the rise of price, yeah, prices of like your raw materials going through the roof, and um, you know, just general the pressures of um, you know it can be as simple as um, you know when you've got as many sort of brigades that I've got, you've got to make sure people are working less all the time, which is something that I you know I want to happen. Um, but it's the pressures on the industry are quite high, especially at the top end when you're trying to you know you're trying to achieve things. I mean, nothing. Nothing just sort of happens and just lands on the plate in front of the customer. It certainly doesn't get there without without being done with some sort of confidence and stuff. So, you know, all this takes time. It all takes money. I think you know the pressures on the hospitality industry in general are very very high at the moment. Yeah, you know, you know that's why it's so important. A hospitality action are there in the background to, to, to help really because there'll be a lot of people that may over the next uh, you know. Unfortunately, the, the next kind of few years will will need them. Do you still find yourself enjoying the pressures, though? I, I personally really enjoy. I mean, I've never. I mean, this sounds a bit corny, but I've never really felt that I've worked in my life. <laughs> um, and what I mean is, yeah, I've I've always been from from leaving school, been involved in in kitchens and and restaurants and hotels, and and I just have always really loved them. I love the thing the camaraderie of the, of, of the kitchen brigade. It's um, I quite like um, that you can sort of um, you can you can you can learn at your own your different speeds. You know, some people you see evolve really quickly. Some you see slower. I mean, I I, I would certainly wouldn't have been where I am now if it wasn't for the industry being so flexible as an industry. So let you know. So there's not the um, if you want to go and get it and you're talented, you can get it. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. I, 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 I really enjoy it. I mean, when young people come and ask me about being in the industry and, um, you yeah, know, about it, and I'd say, yeah, as long as you, yeah, as long as you're up for some hard work and you've got, you can listen and you, you know, and, um, and you've got enthusiasm, I think you can, you can teach, you, well, you can do it, but you can teach anyone, I, I think. That's, that's always been, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm quite a positive guy in terms of, the way I look at the outlook on life, also the industry, and I try to sort of concentrate on the positives rather than the negatives. I suppose you know I've 
I'm, I'm really blessed in, in doing this podcast that I talk to so many chefs that I admire um, and, and you're certainly one of those and, and what I kind of always like to ask is I, I wonder how much you kind of sit back and reflect on, on the career that, that you've had and how much you've achieved probably don't if I'm being honest that's that's probably reflecting on I think I know if you sit there and start counting your medals and (laughs) and writing down what you achieved all them sort of things it's not good for you and it's not good for your (laughs) ego um, for one and and I I tend to sort of um, yeah probably one of my my, I mean we recently did a team building sort of thing within our own restaurant and um, they asked me what my weakness was and I think probably my weakness is not celebrating achievements and not probably um, reflecting on the achievements that we've all where we've already come I'm, 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 I'm a bit of a I'm always looking to improve everything and sometimes it, that's not a good thing as well because you sometimes should stop and, re- and reflect and especially with your team because you know the guys that are around me work extremely hard for me and with me um, and that's in all the restaurants, and I'm, I'm very, 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 very lucky about that. I'm very, very fortunate to have some people like that with me. So, um, yeah, I think probably looking at the career so far. I mean, and also I still feel that I've not even started yet. I mean, that's another thing. I still, I see, I'm nearly 40, I'm 40 in a couple of weeks' time, and you know, I, I still think I've got so much more that I to achieve um, within the kitchen, out of the kitchen. Um, I know there's no grand plan, but I just enjoy. I just enjoy doing what I'm doing, and 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 then sort of, you know, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. I got myself into a position where I can pretty much do within reason what I want to do. Whether that's from cook, my, what I cook in the kitchen, what I cook for the customers, what what ingredients I buy, um, the way I run my business, you know, and I can say no to people if I want to as well. In regards to sort of like if. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, we, we we've worked really hard to make sure that we're a stable business that um, that doesn't have to rely on anybody or any anything really, apart from you know lots of customers and lots of good staff. Mm. And what you know, what do you? I know it's kind of almost contradicting what you're saying there, but I wonder if you do have one thing that you kind of class as that was the biggest achievement so far. Is it the two Michelin stars? Is it the best restaurant in the UK? Well, from I suppose from I suppose from an outside point of view, and for me thinking about um, the impact that, that I've had or we've had as a restaurant, and it's definitely got to be um, getting yeah getting the two stars because that really that was in 2011. That really sort of made everyone sort of sit up and realise that what we were doing. Um, and you sort of and the reason why I don't know about anyone actually telling me that it's just you can just feel it from the the way the customers changed the bit more uh, the tension you were getting from 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 journalists or from from um, from you know, media stuff. Um, but this year, this year seems to well, I say this year, next last the end of last year with the Good Food Guide um, Restaurant of the Year, um, something just feels like it just clicked like in terms of turned on and it just yeah it's yeah it's just been really great to be busy and the people that are coming to the restaurant now i would say if i was say 98 percent of the people that are coming to this restaurant know what to expect and that expectation is very very high as well so whereas we used to get the odd table that's just you know you could have turned up and just thought we're a fish and chip shop and didn't really care (laughs) for example um that rarely rarely happens anymore so i mean i'm 
yeah, bigger than any accolade is to do what I do. I cook one menu in the two Michelin star restaurant and I cook what I want to cook that day. Mm. And that's got to be a, the biggest accolade any chef can have to be able to say, that's what I want to cook today and know that the customers, well, so hopefully touch wood, all the customers are going to love it. And that's, that for me is a, is a big achievement. I think, you know, probably as a professional, from a professional point of view, the biggest achievement was actually buying the restaurant, getting the freehold. Because I've been, I've had my own restaurant since 2003, which is Black Pig was my first restaurant. But I've never owned a restaurant. I've never mm. had the freehold. And, and that also gives you a level of, um, of comfort not too comfortable that you take your foot off the gas, but comfortable enough to know, right, okay, now I've got really got my roots in into something. I'm not going to move again because I've moved quite a bit in my career. And I don't really, I've never really wanted to move, but it's just a circumstance. But now, now that I own this building, I know that the business can look after itself. I really feel sort of comfortable. And, and, and I probably think the next 10 years is going to be the best cooking of what I've done. Do you know what interests me as a foodie and someone who my hobby is eating out in restaurants? I always wonder if there's something behind when you've named the restaurant after your, you know, it's it's restaurant Nathan Outlaw, because I always wonder if that's essentially saying what you are getting here is 100% me. It's not a brand name. It's not an interesting name to do with the location. You're coming here because... I'm going to serve you and, and my head chefs are going to serve you what I yeah. think is good food. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I call it a restaurant they found originally because um, it just sort of gave um, that identity that I was, that's where I cooked. You know, and it is, I suppose it could be deemed quite pretentious putting your name above the door. And I mean, there's, 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 <laughs> I'm not trying to accuse you of that, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I sort of, I sometimes worry about that myself. But I think now is probably... Yeah, being having you know, you could say I've got a business that I can never sell because I've got my, it's got my Christian name and it's got my my surname and it's um, and it implies that I'm actually cooking here all the time, which is you know, for I the only time I'm away is um, is when I have to go to Dubai at the minute. Yeah, it's, it's the only time I'm away because I open the restaurant from Wednesday to Saturday um, and then Mondays and Tuesdays I go to London. So in terms of missing a service, it's it's very very rare. Um, but you know. The guys that have been with me now for you know, the front of house team with me over for two or eleven over eleven years, I think yeah, just over eleven years. And the kitchen's full of like experience, so I don't. I'm quite. Com- I used to worry about that a lot. I used to worry about you know sort of people thinking, oh, he's not there, so you know. So, but that's nonsense because these guys can cook and serve food just as good as I can. That's why they're working with me. Um, but in terms of like actually calling the restaurant restaurant Ace Nardo, I mean, I think it probably makes sense now more than ever. I'm being honest. Hmm. I, I can I can see that. I can I can understand it. I wasn't you know, I, I just find it interesting, like I say, because so I, I never I never like to put anybody in a box. I, I never like to put any chef and say, This is what you're good at and this is your yeah. thing. But my memories of you when I first became interested in food, I'm a big meat eater. I love I was, you know, real meat and two veg, yeah. lamb dinners and Yours was the first fish cookery book that I bought. Yeah, right. And okay. you certainly were, in, in my food journey up until this date, the first chef that got me interested in cooking with fish. Oh, that's good. And, and that must be quite... <laughs> as much as sometimes it puts you in a box to say, ah, Nathan Outlaw, he's the guy who cooks fish, it must also be quite a nice thing when you do inspire people like you have with myself. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoy I mean, that part of what I do... 
Um, and I don't try to sort of put myself in um, a fine dining box or a whatever you call it, chef. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a seafood chef. I love cooking seafood, and I'm a bit of a bit of a um, sort of a, you know an anorak about everything to do with seafood and the industry. But in terms of like teaching people and getting inspiring people to cook, I mean that's why I, I, I wrote the books. I mean it was I wrote the books. It was, I mean the. I've written four books so far, and all of them are for home cooks or for food for foodies or for people that are really interested in food. They're not for professional chefs. Mm. They're not, and they're not restauranty books. I mean, mm. so I mean that's really, and that, that's why I wanted to write. I didn't want to write a restaurant, but actually at that time it was the right thing to do because you know the restaurant. If I'd have written the book about the restaurant when I wrote the first book, it, it probably wouldn't have had the impact anyway. I think. I'm writing the book now about the restaurant because since we've won the best restaurant in the country, I mean, it made, it's the right time to do it, you know, so to sort of document where we've come from and what we've done so far. But, you know, writing the books, a big part of it was to inspire people to, to cook and to buy seafood and to try and prepare it themselves if they wanted to have a go. And so I'm glad it really inspired you. No, definitely. And like I say, sometimes you don't, you do, it's it's almost difficult having conversations with people that have inspired you because everybody's everybody's got their own um you know version of of what that chef sort of represents to them and you know i i, I really remember those really early series of great british menu with people like jason afferton and yourself yeah. and marcus waring cooking for the queen and things like that so i've obviously got a different version of you and you've moved on so much <laughs> since then yeah, well, it's a, and there's a little bit before that as well. I mean, look, you know, people were know from, from when I'd like, we didn't go fully seafood until we were at St. Enerdoc Hotel. And um, when we were there, it was 2007, I think. Um, and that was when I first went completely fish and nothing else. And then before that, we sort of still did a lot of meat cookery. I mean, the first restaurant was called The Black Pig, so and that was implied very much that it's a meaty restaurant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even though we were 50 50. In terms of the dish that you're doing for the rugby legends dinner, the fish dish, it's an all singing, all dancing people pleaser, isn't it? Yeah, well, it ha- I mean that's why. I mean, one thing I've learned, I've done quite a few of these sort of events where you're doing big, big numbers and you're doing big covers. And one thing that doesn't mix with big covers and big numbers is fish. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why that is because it's, it's almost it's almost impossible. I won't say it's impossible, but it's almost impossible to get get a no, look, if I was to cook a lovely piece of turbo or a lovely bit of, you know, sort of, um, you know, nice bit of John Dory or something like that, there's no way I can get it to everybody the way I want it to be. And that's, what, so and that's when me, you're thinking, oh, I shouldn't you know, have gone doing, into doing fish cookery. Doing smoked fish and doing the different um, sort of a selection of different smoked fish, um, 
it's going to be allow me to make sure that I get my style there and I make sure that I've everything that goes out has been tasted and, and you know, I've had a part of, of doing that. Um, so, you know, and you, on paper it looks very simple. It's just a smoked fish platter, which I, makes me laugh because it just sounds like it's from a pub. But it's, um, it's, it's a little bit better. It's a little bit more than that, if I would say. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a couple of smoked mackerel fillets out of a packet and stuck on a plate. I don't know about that. I don't think anybody would be expecting that from uh, Nathan Outlaw. <laughs> Definitely not. So in terms of now then, you know, when, when you sit and think about you were saying earlier that you know you feel the future is going to be really exciting. What when a project gets proposed to you, as it ultimately must do daily, what is it about a project or an idea or a new restaurant that ultimately gets you excited? Well, first and foremost, it's got to be. It's got. I've got to be excited to do it. If I'm not, if I'm not excited, it doesn't matter what it is, how much money it is, who, who it's with, it, it, unless I'm, like, excited and feel that sort of, like, tingling in, in my stomach about it being exciting, then it ain't going to happen. Um, and, you know, because, like you just said, then I, I do get day on a daily basis, there's, there's some sort of form of opportunity or some sort of but, yeah, thing comes up that if I pursued it, it could, could, could amount to anything. But, and also, I mean, it's, it's about what I've managed to do so far, even with the five places that we've got, with the Dubai, London, and the three in Cornwall, um, all of them have a member or at least two, one or two members of staff that have been with me for decades, but over a decade. So um, Pete in Dubai has been 15 years. Yeah, my dad works in the London restaurant. Broke your old man in. <laughs> yeah, he's in the kitchen there, and, and, and likewise the guys down in Cornwall. So, um, it's, it, for me, it's got to be not stretch us as well. I mean, I, you know, I could have, there's quite a few opportunities that come up recently where it, it would have been great, and it's, yeah, it's lots of money, but, you know, we just can't do it if, we, if I haven't got the, the, the people in. So far, I've not. I've not had to employ a senior member of staff in any of the things that we've done um, that's not worked with me before. And I, I, I sort of think, I don't know, yeah, other chefs can do it and other restaurateurs can do it. I just think that you need to have worked with me at the mothership, at the main <laughs> place. Otherwise, it's not, you, you, you're not going to get it quite not quite get it so I've not worked out yet with my management style or my restaurant head on how I how I progress like that so and also like I said you, you, earlier on I mean I'm in a, I'm lucky my wife and I were in a position where we, we don't have to do mm. anything um, which is really nice um, so and I don't have a I don't have aspiration you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago well I had like five restaurants I'd have said nonsense there's no chance it's going to happen <laughs> but um, these things I mean the, the, the Dubai thing came up they, got, they, they rung me up out of the blue said we want you to open a restaurant in, in our hotel I'm like you're crazy I'm not going to do anything out of the, out of the UK it's, it's a long way from here um, how the hell do I get my fish there and you know we we investigated, we investigated, we had a little bit of a chat. I went over there and had a look. Um, and I thought, actually, we can do this. We can get the logistics right. We can get the fish over there. to the standard, certain species to the standard that is acceptable to me. The next thing was to find someone. And then Pete, who was, Pete Biggs, who is he's now a chef there, was the head chef at the Capitol Hotel. Um, and I proposed it to him and he said he'd love to do it. So it's as simple as that, really. I mean, that in that sense, um, sometimes the opportunities is kind of the same as what with London. Um, when London came up six years ago, um, I was just, 
minding my own business in rock, just <laughs> prepping away. And um, and in walks David Levin, who was the owner then of the hotel, um, and just goes, do you want a restaurant in London? And I've never even thought about doing anything in London before then. So you can't, I would never, when opportunities come up, I never, I never dismiss them straight off the bat. And like talking to you now, I wouldn't dismiss anything. Um, but what I would say is that at this point now, I'm really happy with where we are and what we're doing. So... But you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I do appreciate um, you taking the time with me today. Obviously, I've I've been fortunate enough to get involved through Hospitality Action, and, and I'm aware that without their support, I, I may not have been able to chat to you just so early in my journey as a podcast, food podcast. But yeah. to have your name attached to it and to talk to you is is been such a delight. It's been such an honour and a privilege to chat to you. Brilliant. It's been nice to talk to you too. So up next, it's friend of the podcast, Michael Wignall, and we catch up on his updates since I last met him for the Seven Chefs event, and we also talk about his involvement with the Rugby Legends Dinner. So you might not remember chatting to me, but the last time uh, we spoke was at the Seven Chefs event, which was for Hospitality yeah, Action. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And obviously yeah. now we're chatting ahead of the rugby event for Hospitality Action, so it yeah. seems to me now it's kind of dawned on me that it's you know it's obviously something that you're really passionate and enjoy getting involved in raising money for. Yeah, de- definitely. I think it's something that, it's important to consumed in our busy lives in the kitchen and things like that, but it's nice to sort of step away and do something for, you know, for a worthy cause like this. It's, it's you know, you time's pretty precious but you know you, you you sort of got to do the right things really and pull yourself away from the business so it was quite it was quite a frantic day wasn't it i mean it was good it was good fun um but it was quite quite a frantic day so it, it didn't manage to uh to put you off doing more chef collaborations then no not at all <laughs> i normally sort of do about two or three a year sort of keep keep it to that and, i think that's yeah. enough <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah definitely it was um did you did you did you find find yourself enjoying it though you enjoyed the day afterwards for seven chefs no definitely it's great to work with especially chefs you've never worked with before and things like that it's good to see other things as well and it's just good that you know i I enjoy it's nice to be out of your own kitchen really in somewhere (laughs) that's different and and doing something different it's it's a good day yeah i mean it's a long day and things like that but we're used to that and it's sort of traveling to the other (laughs) side of the country but it's it's just good fun yeah and obviously since since that event as well which i've been um i've been looking forward to talking to you about is that you've got some quite exciting news right yeah so pro- by the end of this year you know I've, I've got a decent backer and everything a really good friend of mine and we're looking at opening you know my own place probably it'll probably take a year to get you know to get the premises and everything else going you know it takes a long time so realistically hopefully by the end of this this year if not a little bit sooner we should have our own place which should be which should be really good yeah it's, it's about time as well I think. <laughs> yeah you beat me to my next uh, my next question i mean i'm i'm not one of these interviewers that's going to make you grill that's going to grill you and make you divulge information because i know that a lot of these plans are always up in the air and quite yeah, secret sure. but it but it, it must be um you must feel more than ready now to have a place which is which is completely your own right yeah definitely yeah definitely and you know it's been great in the southwest and everything but you you sort of know when something's you know when it's time for you to do something on your own really and and the times now and it's just everything's all fit into place and it's just really good timing with everything 
Have you found yourself that you have to make decisions about things that you probably never had to before, like, you know, the colour of a wall or the colour of a tile or or this, that and the other? Uh, to be honest, though, <laughs> wherever I've been involved in, you, you know, you've always you've always had that. I've always had that anyway, you know, choosing the crockery and the carpet and designing the chairs for the restaurant and getting involved in what they put in the rooms, if it has got rooms and things like that. You know, I like to be like to be involved with everything really have you know it's leave the experts to their field but you know it's good to it's good to see the whole operation it's you know it's if you're going to own your own place you know i've been worrying about other people's money and things like that for years and years <laughs> and, it's, and, it's the, and it's the point when okay then you know i might as well worry about my own now and and take the plunge and you know then you've only got yourself to blame really and you, you you're your own driver then as well which is which is really exciting so obviously, you know, we've met before and like I said to you last time, you're one of the chefs that, that whose careers I, I follow um, and admire from, from a way up in Yorkshire. But I, they did kindly today send, send me a bit of information about yourself. Um, but, okay. there, but, there, but there was something that I didn't know um, was that you had, uh, according to my information in front of me, you had a, you, before you were a chef, you had a promising career as a, a BMX biker. Well, that's what I—that's what I loved doing when I was wow. at school. Wow! I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm quite—you know—I've always been quite sporty. You know, even now, you know, you get—you don't get that much time off. But you know, I've—I've I've just come back from. Well, I've just been fishing in Norway for a couple of days for the Norwegian tourist board with the cod, um, and then before that was in France, snowboarding and tour split boarding as well. And then you know, in summer I like to wakeboard and surf and stuff. So I, I think it's important. You know, you've got to. For me, it's important to have a release so I don't need to concentrate on work and dishes and things like that. And if, if I'm doing something a bit more extreme, it sort of takes your mind off that completely. And also it keeps you fit as well. <laughs> so I wondered with with the sporting connection that you have, if you had a sporting connection with rugby, seeing as that's what the event is is about in line as well as cooking, obviously. But I wondered if there'll be somebody that you'll be fan, fan chefing over while you're in there, a rugby player. Um, well, when I was at Penny Hill Park, obviously that's you know that's the the training ground of the England rugby team. And but my wife's Welsh, so you know I, I can't really mention that. So obviously she's from a really really strong rugby background, and they you know she's Welsh, so she flipping loves it. But yeah, I'm not um, I'm not allowed to be sort of cheering English on or anything like that. But I'm, I'm not really I'm not a massive follower of rugby or anything team sporty like that or football or anything you know it's more the sort of singular sports that i'm into but you're going to bring your wife along right to get some brownie points and introduce her to the rugby players <laughs> yeah she, she'll yeah she'll be she'll be coming along i just hope there's some welsh ones there because yeah she won't, she won't be shaking hands with the english ones to get a little bit funny about that yeah that, that might get a little bit awkward yeah <laughs> so um Obviously, again, what you've what you've had to do this time is you've had to uh, come up and, and give a dish that you're going to cook, and um, you did a you did a two courses at Seven Chefs, but you're only doing the dessert this time. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, can you talk us through the dessert that you're going to be doing? So, we're going to be doing um, a Yorkshire rhubarb. It's sort of all different. Uh, methods of cooking and freezing and everything rhubarb so and obviously yorkshire rhubarb is the best in the world so we've got yorkshire rhubarb and then we're going to do a, a custard sphere so we'll we make a, a custard but instead of using eggs we use pectin to to um set it 
and then we freeze it. Then we dip it in um, a juice of natural, Just we, we just purge the uh, rhubarb. So it's just an unsweetened juice, so it's quite sour. But obviously with the Yorkshire rhubarb being nice and, nice and pink and sweet as well compared to the big stuff. Um, and then we just put a vegetable gel with that so it sets instantly at, at below 68 degrees. Um, make a stem ginger ice cream and a dulce aerated chocolate. So it's almost like dulce chocolate. It's like a caramelized chocolate, like um, Caramac used to be, if you remember that. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and then and then we aerate it. So we put it in an ISI canister, um, spray it into a container, then put it into a backpack machine with a special attachment. It pulls all the air out. And as it's pulling it out, it expands and obviously it goes like aero. And then we stop the machine and stick it in a free blast freezer for a couple of hours. Um, then we've got a ginger cake. With that, a really nice, lovely, rich, sticky ginger cake. Um, a ginger crumb, so we make a ginger biscuit. Um, blend that down so it's like a crumb, so that's a different texture element to the dish. And then a white chocolate gel, which is just um, white chocolate and soya milk. And then we set it lightly and then re-blend it again. So it's almost like a fluid gel. There's a couple more elements in there. There's, there's too many to mention, but that's the basis <laughs> of the dish. It's all based around sort of obviously ginger goes really, really super well with um, rhubarb. And the sweetness of the um, dulcet chocolate as well counteracts the bitterness of the rhubarb and, you know, the ginger cake as well. is all fitting in with and the ginger crumb with the, uh, the stem ginger ice cream. So how does it tend to work then on... On events like this, when somebody asks you, do you just come straight back and say, yeah, I tell you what, I've got this really great dish in, in my head. Or do they say, will you do a dessert and then you go away and have a think about it and then come back with something? Yeah, you just, you, yeah, you you know, you'll be, okay, then what what am I doing? Okay, the, you know, you're doing the dessert and then you think about the time of the year and what's at, what's best seasonally that time of year. I mean, it's just sort of starting to come to the the end-ish of the Yorkshire rhubarb, but it's still in season for a few more weeks after the event. <laughs> so it's a good opportunity to to use that while it's, you know, while it's at the prime of its season. Um, and you just think around, obviously it's it's still really cold out there, so you think of a, you know, more of a wintry dish and just obviously look at other people, what they're doing as well and, and work around it because it's important that all the dishes fit in. It's all right going, I think a lot of the times you go to these events and chefs just put a dish together and then, there's five dishes and they're all over the place and there might be three of the dishes that have got, you know, a pulse with them or, or something like that. And it doesn't really, and it's just too heavy. You've just got to, you know, hopefully all the chefs look at each other's dishes and think, okay, then, well, he's done ginger, so I can't do that. I'll do mm. this instead. And, you know, and that's how it works. <laughs> because, um, yeah, because you and Paul Ainsworth are both sharing the, the dessert. So it must yeah. be... Uh, is it a bit of a race to get in there first <laughs> so you can get what um, you want? <laughs> well, no, we, we, you know, we spoke to each other and I said, you know, what are you going to do? And he's, he, t- he told me what he was going to do. So then I just went away and thought about what I'd do. And obviously, you, know, and that, and, you, don't, you kind of want it to, yeah, to complement each other, but also you want it to stand out, right? Yeah, of course you do, yeah. And, you know, it's got a. I think a lot of the time, you know, people go to these big events and they think, oh, you know, let's think safe, you know, it's a big event, let's do something really simple and, and sort of detract away from what their style is, you know. And, and, and I'm a great believer, you, you do these events and you want to showcase what you do, no matter how many covers it is, you know, and you want to, you want to show people your style of, of food. So, obviously, you do a dish that you can do for large numbers, but 
that also that's a good representation of what style you, you know you're trying to portray mm. and obviously at the minute it is is um i wonder if maybe if it's almost sort of slightly freeing because you're not you're representing yourself if you see what i mean you're not there because you you come up from Gidley Park or and you and you're having to show something that you might have on your menu there you're literally just representing what you want to cook at the minute um sort of yeah i mean I'm, you know i've never been really been dictated to what you know what i cook anyway you know it's my style and it's my style and i think wherever you go you know i'd like to think that my style changes with, within you know the region that i go to really and that's you know and every everyone's style changes or well, most people's style changes throughout the years you know everyone evolves every 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 year or every you know every month or every day you know dishes evolve all the time and you look back at dishes some dishes and think like oh my god you know there's no way i'd do that what the hell was i thinking about or you, you sometimes you look back at dishes and think well actually why why did we ever take that off let's do it again but let's do it you know let's enhance what we did with it and I, I imagine one of the benefits that you've already touched on in that, whereas at that Seven Chefs, you may not have worked with a lot of these people. Seeing as this is quite a regional event, I imagine a lot of the names that you're working with are people that you're quite familiar with and you you probably met a, a good few times anyway. Yeah, I think the chefing world is quite a small industry anyway. And, you, you know, we all meet each other at awards or we've all eaten in each other's restaurants and things like that. So we all know each other's styles anyway. So it's not it's not really too bad. You know, I've done them, you know, I've done similar sort of events abroad. I've done them in Germany and Singapore and all sorts of places. And then it's, you know, you, you are cooking with people you've never you've never even seen the style of food or anything like that. So that's pretty all exciting. But you know, everyone knows what each other's sort of style of food is, whether they've eaten it or not. And it's it's just nice to get out of your own sort of confined space once in a while, really, and work together. I was talking to Jude actually earlier today about the event, um, and he's another chef that's sharing the course. He's sharing the starter, and he said that actually right. he sees a little bit of a competitive edge as well because he wants to serve the best starter. Yeah, <laughs> we'd well, yeah, be a little bit do. competitive with Paul as well. Yeah, of course they will. You know, but chefs are you know chefs are competitive, but you know it's it, everyone's got their own style, and some people you know mine's a little bit more complicated than some people's, and other people's is a lot more simplistic than mine. But it's you've got to look at it for each you know and appreciate the food for what it is. You know, everyone if it'd be pretty boring if everyone cooked to a let's just put all put three things on a plate and that's it rule, or let's all cook Scandi or Scandi dishes all the same because it's just. You know, everyone's got their own their own style and follows their own trend, really, within within the realms of cooking, and, and that's the most important thing. If everyone did the same, it'd be pretty boring. I saw I saw you I saw your pictures in uh, Trumza. By the way, it's somewhere somewhere that I visited as well. It's absolutely beautiful, beautiful part yeah, of the world. Yeah, it is. It's flipping cold and expensive. I mean, sixteen pound <laughs> a pint is pushing wow. it really, but it but it was it was it's stunning. It's so nice. Are you always sort of taking inspiration when you when you're doing trips like that as well? Are you trying to sort of bank ideas up for when you do open your new restaurant? Yeah, definitely. You know, and you and you you take things wherever you go, whether it's a three star or a in cafe or, or a market <laughs> or whatever. You know, you, you look at you, you 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 know you can go to the best place in the world and criticize if if you that's you know if you want to, but it's not about that. It's about taking you know any element that can enhance what you do and you know obviously everyone every day is a learning surf and no one's knows everything it's 
you know you can't reinvent the wheel but you can you can enhance what you do with um you know different elements from around the world i can't um quite bring the mental image to head of uh michael wignall sat in a in a greasy spoon <laughs> i don't know if it's been in one in flipping views but <laughs> it was a greasy spoon as well listen every, everything i always say this to everybody everything has got its place right if you're hungover yeah, or you're tired yeah. the last thing you want is to go and have 10 courses you just want a bacon sandwich right yeah exactly of course you do <laughs> Um, I, I, I must confess that I can't remember if I'd introduced this little segment when I, I met you last. So apologies if this feels like we're going over old ground. But something okay. which I've started to do is ask about the top foodie tip. It's just like a chef hack. Something simple that me and the okay. listeners can do to improve our cookery. So I'm sorry if I have asked you this before, but I don't. I think I might have introduced it later on. So I will ask you again. Just okay. To, just something yeah that will improve my cookery uh, i would say the most important thing for me is being organized and thinking ahead you know and um i'd also say that god i, I mean i think picking your own stuff in a supermarket as well rather than picking pre-packed stuff is a real bugbear of mine when i see people doing that with the price and the quality that you get when it's pre-packed you know it's just picking your raw ingredients and always go for always go for the the best that you can afford, you know, never sort of skimp on your ingredients is, is, is really paramount to me. You know, if you, if you sort of skimping on your oils and your butters and your, or your raw ingredients, you know, your, your dish is going to be affected by it. And I think the most important thing for me is, you know, don't be afraid to experiment, you know, and, and be relaxed and enjoy your cooking rather than being all tense and worrying about everything and how it's going to turn out. And is there and something practice, in sort of, you know, almost like getting it wrong, if you see what I mean? So you're perfecting it and, you know, you don't always have to get it right. No, you don't. Cause, I mean, sometimes, you know, something goes wrong. And same in a professional kitchen, you know, if, if something goes wrong, you, you, you should never be afraid of failure. Because from failure, I mean, you know, you, you, you sort of question why it's gone wrong. And that's how you that's how you learn. And that's how you become a better chef, because you, you then you you realize where you've gone wrong and you know how to how to rectify it or from that mistake it might actually turn out to be to to come out better than what you expected or you think you know a lot of dishes have come out of mistakes where something's gone wrong and you'd be like oh my god why has it done that but actually it's it's flipping amazing let's let's go on that and i suppose then as well you can then almost sort of cherry pick from your experience because you can say no you know it's like a process of elimination you know right well i did this this time and that went wrong so i can well, that's it. You know, when when we're experimenting with new dishes, we'll write. You know, obviously, like any recipe, you write it down. But when you're making something from scratch, you you know, you write everything down. Okay, that's point five of salt, and that's two point five of whatever else, and and then you know, at the end of it, okay, then that needs more salt. So let's add another point five of salt. So it's one gram now instead of you know point five, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you and you just build it, build your recipe up like that until it's right. But then, then it's all documented. So at the end of it, you're not left with, oh, my God, that tastes great. But how have we made it? Because we haven't written anything down. You know, always write, you know, write things down when you're coming up with new ideas. I mean, obviously, when you're starting a new restaurant, it's probably one of the the busiest times anyway, because, you, you know, you're having to plan things out. You're having to do this and do that. But I wondered, how does it sort of feel 
not being in the kitchen every single day you almost having to force yourself and and go in and, and cook and look at this and look at that and look at recipes yeah it's 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 you know it's strange because i've been off for the last well month now which is i've never taken that much time <laughs> off ever in sort of 25 years but it's it's a good you know it's a good time to actually i think everyone needs a breather once in a while to actually get the thoughts together and do a bit more research than what they normally would do and you know have a bit of the most important thing a little bit of family time as well and reassess you know what you're doing and things and, and get get your head around it and then start a, start afresh and everything's nice and organized and ready to go and it like i say it's especially doing this episode for for hospitality action it's it's always great for me as a as a food fan to to see you involved in in these events and uh, obviously reading through this menu of everybody that's in front of me it's really great look at you know talking through your your menu today so obviously on on behalf of hospitality action who this this episode is for i could just say thank you for being involved in the event it sounds so exciting i mean to have the level of rugby stars and then to go bloody hell there's some of the best chefs in the country here yeah and, and it's 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 an honor to do it I and mean, you, you know it's it's you know i feel privileged that to be asked to do things like this and you know, you know you can only say yes to do them it's it's just it's for an amazing cause and it's an amazing charity and hopefully we'll raise loads of cash on the night well, obviously, I'll be sharing all the links to the event for the rugby dinner through the pass. Um, and as always, Michael, it's such a pleasure to chat to you. Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to chat to you again. OK, so my next chat is with Guy Owen. You may be familiar with his Relay and Chateau restaurant hotel, the Idle Rocks down in Cornwall. And he gives a really interesting chat on sustainability. And he also talks about a lot of issues that are facing the industry right now. So they don't make it easy for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, they're just uh, trying to make my life harder. I think, yeah. <laughs> especially for the number of uh... yeah, two hundred and twenty bloody guests, and they just go, yeah, knock up, knock up two, would you? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Although, um, you know, I'm sure that's it's something that that you enjoy being under that sort of pressure. Oh yeah, well, it's it's something I'm I'm pretty pretty used to to be to be to be fair. So it's um. It's good. It's going to be a good. It's going to be a great thing. And um, you know how how did the sort of how did it, your involvement come about with this this event? Well, I mean, I've been um, I've been affiliated with um, Hospitality Action uh, in a few ways. We did the first time I got um, I got there with um, Stuart Matheson um, came to an event we did um, at the Isle of Rocks. We do these sort of chef night events each each year. Um, and had two or three different different chef night events, and he came down to one and uh, enjoyed his meal. One of the courses, one of the courses that we had served, and had approached me about uh, an event they wanted to hold at a local restaurant to us called Oliver's, which is in Falmouth, so just across the bay. And he said, "Listen, uh, they're doing this thing, uh, raising a lot of money for hospitality action. It's called uh, Twelve Chef Twelve Nights," um, and. Kenny Simmons, who's the chef and uh, the chef patch on there, uh, contacted me and said he'd like me to be involved with it, with the kind of the uh, the recommendation from Stuart. So, you know, we said, of course, you know, sort of local charity. Of course, we're, we're very much prepared to help. And our owners, David and Karen Richards, are always very, uh, very pro that thing too. So we went over and did that night. It was, it was a great evening. We had a great time. I took over my sous chef to do that. So, and really since then, we've been... Um, wanting to be supporters of 
uh, hospitality action in any way that we can. So we've um, we've done a couple of others. We've got uh, one coming up in the next couple of weeks, which would uh, they're pairing up with Macmillan Cancer as well, um, which is based over in Newquay, and then. We are coming up to Honiton to Deer Park to do this one um, coming up. So, and it must be uh, maybe a, a, a little bit. Is it? Well, it would be for me anyway. Being a bit nerve wracking, uh, <laughs> being in, in, think, in the room with quite a few other legends of the field, right? I think it is. It's you know, it, it's it's a uh, you've got to look at it in kind of context of what it is. I mean, you know, everybody's been in this position at some point in their lives when. Uh, when these sort of things happen, you know, we've been involved in a few different things, and you know, we believe if, as long as you believe in what you do and what your 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 product is, and um, you know, Philip Newman Hall, who's the former GM of um, of Le Manoir, actually was uh, one of the people who rec- recommended me for this event. Um, and he had spent some time with us at the Yard of Rocks a few years ago, and it was uh, you know, he was it, it, it was it was a great honour to be. Um, to be drafted for it, and then really to to be part of that of that fold is 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 great. But you know, I mean, I know, you know, I've done events with, with Josh Eggleton before. I've done events with Duke Carriama. I've done events with. Um, I'm doing an event coming up soon with Dom Chapman. Um, you know, I sort of um, I've met Paul a few times with him being in Corbin and stuff like that, and I've not spent much time with Nathan um, in that way. And Michael Wignall, you know, he's obviously he's recently left Goodley Park, but. He was affiliated with the same hotel group. We are uh, Relais uh, Chate- Chateau. Um, so he uh, he came down here. We'd spoken a bit, and you know, so we've got, we, you know, we've, it's all kind of integrated together. You know, we've, we've, we're either either have done or are doing events together and have spoken before. So I think ultimately, it's um, it's a group of very inspirational uh, chefs in a room. Um, and I just feel very lucky that I was kind of considered to be able to be part of that. So I'm 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 very very happy. And with Josh and I cooking, cooking the main course, um, it's going to be um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. So one of the one of the things they've done ahead is they helpfully, although in in all cases I didn't particularly need it because I'm a food nut and a chef nut. Is that they've sent me a a, a few notes on each chef, <laughs> um, just just so I know who I'm talking to and and. Um, it struck me that you know a lot of the places that you worked in in the past are probably going to be quite sort of big brigade places a lot of people and therefore maybe it struck me that you probably come into contact with people that hospitality action have helped i've um yeah i think the i certainly wouldn't go into any names but i certainly feel that um you know i've seen the benefit of what hospitality action can do and I think when you pair that up with um, with a lot of people who I say a lot people who I've seen um, and worked with who have fallen by the wayside or lost their way in life and things um, that if hospitality action was uh, we want to try and put it out there as much as we can is what I'm basically trying to say is you know I just think it's it's the kind of organisation that the more people that know about it, the more people that can be helped about it. And to a degree there can be, a, there is a stigma attached to the industry that we, we all work in and we all love, um, you know, with it being um, long hours, hard work and things like that. And some people find that they get very 
uh, stuck on a certain vice um, and things like that and, and really can lose their, their sort of way in life with that. And I think if you're able to support that as a, as, as a cook um, and showcase that in whatever way you can, then, then surely you're, you're um, doing something, something good, right? Yeah, and one of the things as well, along with that as well, that kind of sometimes strike me is even though you are in these these big brigades and there's lots of people around you, there can be sort of sort of like a, a times when you sort of feel like you don't know where to turn and, and then having that and, you know, this sort of thing around the hospitality actually helping out with depression, which is something that I've suffered in the past. And mm. just having someone, you know, that you know where to turn to and, and someone that can help you that's focused on that industry. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you mean. I think, I mean, pri- primarily, I think one of the focuses you, you're, you're discussing here would be, would be peer, peer pressure. That um, people feel that there's a certain way that you need to be and that need to act and um, this other edge of sort of, um, it's a very dog-eat-dog world. Um, but I think as the industry matures, um, as it's doing very much now, and we're seeing a, a very different focus um, from chef patrons and head chefs and things like that to look at the, the staff that they have and to create a, a good work, work-life balance. Um, and I think that's becoming um, that's becoming a very strong aspect of the industry that uh, the the industry now. Um, and I also think that people of chefs are a lot more um, open to sitting down and having these talks with their with their their junior staff and and really trying to support them. And, and we're a lot more savvy in in picking out those first sort of signs of things maybe going wrong. Um, and you know you you only ever want to see your team going you know at one hundred percent and every person on the same page and you know the idol we very we're very heavily focused on 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 the team bonding side of things and uh, you know we're on the south coast of, of Cornwall and we're in a, in a small little fishing village here so it's uh, very important that you that you that you know your staff well and if you can help uh, to a degree counsel um, them in any way that you can. Um, to, to aid them, then then that certainly helps. We we have a very open door policy here, so anybody I feel is in a position where they can come and talk to me or talk to any of our senior team here um, about these 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 issues, which is always the first step, right? Um, and I think as you as people uh, learn that and they feel more comfortable with that, you're able to deal with the issues perhaps before they turn into something which could be a bit more um a bit more serious and the obviously that's when you, you would have the 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 wonderful aspect of being able to contact something like host, hospitality action who are absolutely experts in these things i want to talk a bit about your food and your sort of style of food and it seems to me that you really like to sort of champion the sort of produce that you have in your area yeah um i think it's uh the worst it's like the worst phrase in, in the world ever. I hear it all the time. Local produce cook well. Um, I just think it's such a, it's almost like such a tongue in cheek comment now. Um, ultimately, the reality is that we are on, uh, in a very influential, beautiful part of, of, of England, of, of, of Britain, right? And, uh, you know, certainly from a fish orientated aspect, uh, meat produce, vegetable produce, and things that is, is all grown down here and is all caught, all reared. Um, however, you want to kind of put it, is it's we seem to look at these products and we just have that mentality of wanting to 
be as sympathetic to that as we can. And I think it's the as the food uh, as food styles change and and people are a little more kind of educated in food. They want to know what they're eating and. We try and simplify that and serve food. If somebody orders to simplify, it, somebody orders a piece of fish, a piece of cod, we'll give you a piece of of cod, um, and you'll know what you're eating. And we want you to be able to identify on, with those items on the plate because the, the guys that tirelessly rear and catch and do all the work with these these absolutely stunning products. Um, you know, they do that for a reason because they really care. And if you if you take a piece of beef and deconstruct it in ten different ways, you're, you're totally you're totally defeating the whole point of it. I think any anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I started. It's, it's you know, we we don't try and be too clever. There are some amazing chefs. Some of the guys I'm working with are, 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 are unbelievably clever with how they go around food, and they can still get that message message across. And I don't think that we. You know, I don't think that we we necessarily need to do that, um, especially with, with the affluence that we have as chefs within Cornwall now. Um, there are so many different styles and, and brilliant things that can be done from just showcasing a, a wonderfully simple piece of, of fish or a beautiful piece of beef or, or some stunning, you know, some stunning veg too. See, I'm a I'm a very very big meat eater, and mm. lamb is my favourite meat and mm. just love lamb it's so tasty it's just i love the versatility of it however interestingly i found myself salivating first at the sound of your vegetarian dish which we which we, we touched on at the beginning but it, it I, I, I love the sound of it. it sounds fantastic um so vegetarian food is a, is a big deal with us for us down here at the idol because we've got um uh, we've, we've developed a relationship with um quite an iconic uh, garden, the Lost Gardens of of Halligan, which is only a few miles up up the road. We we developed this relationship with them um, for two reasons. What I mean, one, ultimately, we wanted to have uh, the best quality vegetable that we could get our hands on. So, rather selfishly, from uh, from a cook's point of view, and the other side of it as well is that the engagement of of our guests into um, our produce is. is is a massive thing for us. So, you know, put it this way, you've come from, I don't know, Manchester, you've come from a, a major city somewhere and you wanted to come down to South Coast of Cornwall and get away from everything and just relax, engage with nature a bit and things like that. And you can sit down and our, our relationship with Halligan has been done in a way that we can send guests to the gardens and they can have a tour of the gardens um, and see the products growing that they're actually actually eating. I think there's, there's a real kind of like love story behind that. And the January King cabbage um, is a big one because it grows for longer than through just that month. It goes it goes on a bit. So we're using the cabbage, and um, we will use we'll use a sweet cabbage. But the dish orig- originated from a Hellen Gardens dish. So we take a, a cabbage and we we do butter poach it, so it turns it into a pretty unhealthy cabbage suddenly. Um, which uh, is obviously fine because you're supposed to come here to just, you know, indulge a bit, aren't you? Um, but then we, we roast it over some hot coals and we do it with um, some celeriac and we, we do a few things to that just to create different textures. So, we, you know, we wanted that smoky barbecuiness to the to the dish and those lovely um, earthy flavours to come through with it because vegetables can be... When you have that with a cabbage and things, that you can really turn it into... Um, an incredibly satisfying meal and you know when we get into our main season here we'll have two vegetarian dishes on two vegetarian um, two vegetarian stars and two vegetarian main courses on 
because you know it's it, vegetables are the what the most versatile thing ever it's the you know and vegetarian food is not boring and old hat and wild mushroom whatever and you know just an iron you know a plate of arancini or whatever like that it's not it's not about that now um it's about the it's about showcasing that and if you can do that effectively with um your local suppliers and do it in a way which is actually you can turn somebody maybe like yourself and a meat eater into enjoying and feeling that you're going out to eat and you don't have to just choose a high-protein meat or a fish option to be satisfied. You can eat vegetarian food. It's, you're on to an absolute, an absolute winner, and I think that's the way we have to think as cooks going forward because we, uh, we can't continue to consume on this planet the way that we kind of do, and we have to think um, a bit more out, out, outside the box, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm a real one for that. I think it's, if you do things in a sustainable way, there's no issue, but we need to start thinking about how we're going to utilise vegetables more in, in the future. So that's why we, we, we really, really focalise on it. Funnily enough, I did an interview last year with, because uh, I'm based in Leeds, uh, with Liz Cotton mm. from home. And she, and she was saying a similar thing because they have a relationship with uh, Harwood House in Leeds who grow a lot yeah. of their veg. And that's the word yeah. that she used, really. It's, it's, it's not just the uh you know the the origin knowing where it's come from knowing where it's grown which which nowadays is very very important all right it's very very important for me as well but it's that sustainability it's knowing that it's actually something that you can consistently get <laughs> yeah of course yeah it is i mean that's the that, that's the real the real the real fact of it you know we looked at um you know, there was a huge thing years ago regarding farm fish and this is the way that we're going to have to move forward and things like that and but a lot of farm fish were fish with uh, were, were fed with wild fish fry, which just seems crazy to me. So you're you're depleting a wild stock to ensure a farm stock. It just seemed crazy. So you know, we we try and and move away from that in whatever way we can, and be and you know, it's it's about the the origins of the, of of the species as well. So we take our oysters from Falmouth Bay, and we have them perched in St Moors, and we use British native flat oysters. These, this is a wild product that is. Um, that is governed by Fowl Bay and is watched very, very closely to ensure that we don't overfish it. Um, we're taking the right size oysters from that, and and these are hand picked. These are these are gone through by hand and picked by hand by hum, human eye to ensure that we that we, we we will always have those oysters there. And I think that's important in in any spectrum of it, you know. And I think some of the Fishing laws and things that you see now can be incredibly detrimental to certain species, you know, large head species like cod and things like that. We saw a massive decline in cod with it being overfished and the size regulation of the fish and a lot of dead fish going back. And a lot of chefs made a big, um, a big deal about that, which was, which was great to, to see, you know, three or four years ago. Um, I certainly recall, you know, people like Hugh Ferding Witterstall and Jamie Oliver um, making a big, a big deal of that. And it, 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 all that sort of stuff helps. But I just think that. We need to be uh, not so afraid of that. You don't just have to go to a supermarket to purchase fish. There are local fishmongers. There are down in Cornwall, especially. There are guys who just who have these beautiful little like um, vans and trucks that they they'll, they'll drive from village to to town and things, and um, and will actually drop fresh fish off off a beautiful day boat to your uh, door. And I think we just need to be a little bit clever. We've got the 
um, the World Wide Web um, and things like that that we can purchase from as well. And, you know, certainly I know that our fish supplier that you can go on, on, on online and purchase fresh fish that's come off... Um, that's come off dayboat fishermen from Newquay, from uh, from Lou Harbour, and things like that around us, and you can get that to your door. It's not been out the sea for longer than kind of twenty four four hours, and that's better than any supermarket can. So, mm. and it's why a, not? It's such a it's such a wonderful thing to have that. And then, and what what struck me while you were talking about that is it's almost like you feel that you have a, like an accountability to make sure that it it that tradition can continue because ultimately if you didn't care and just overfished and, and didn't care about where it came from, ultimately eventually those lovely little fish fans would, would have to stop because there would be nothing left. Exactly. But we go, you know, there's nothing wrong with purchasing from a singular wholesaler on any, on whatever you buy. It's the relationships that these, that these guys have, I think personally. And, um, you know, we can go to our wholesaler and I can say, um, you know, where are we going to get our crab from? Where are we going to get our, our hake from? And, you know, on our staff, our chefs and our staff, our front of house staff, we can turn around and say, our hake comes from a boat called the Ajax, which this is from Newland, from Newland Harbour. You know, our, our crab comes from a guy called Ian Jepson. He's got a boat called the Three Jays, and he fishes off the North Coast, generally from around Newquay area, you know. We can track it down to the person who's caught the fish, and if you can do that, then you you can monitor how they go about their fishing. And these are guys who've had fishing in their family for years, you know, years and years and years and years. And if you can in aid by in aid in in, in kind of supporting that, then you, you're always going to have that that the wonderfulness of what fresh Cornish produce is, and the wonderful reason why we all live down here, and why we, we're, we're kind of having these amazing chefs who are moving down to to the county because it, it's all here. Um, so why not use it in its best form? Why would you use you know something that's been been trawled from two thousand miles away and has been held held on ice for the last four days and, and dropped off and then sent in through through your front door? You know because it costs two pounds less. Uh, you know I, I don't see any any point in that at all. I would rather give somebody. You know, we would never serve tuna from three and a half thousand miles away, for instance. We'd, you know, we'd serve fish that we can give you a rod and line you can go and catch within 10 miles <laughs> of here. Which is like the whole point. I, I feel cheated. If I sat on our terrace and I was eating something <laughs> that was from 3,000 miles off, I, I'd feel cheated. I don't, know, I don't know how I'd feel about that, cup, cup driving all the way down to Leeds and say, by the way, you have to catch your dinner. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. If you can that. have it pre-caught, that'd be lovely. <laughs> yeah. So all the yeah. love uh, that you got there for, for fish and veg is, is all well and good, but as you can tell from my lead-up, I do want to talk about the lamb because yeah. lamb is, is my favourite. So can you talk me through your your meat-loving, meat-lovers uh, main dish? So the lamb, we're cooking, uh, we're using a saddle of lamb um, and we're just splitting that, that in half and we're using the fillets. Um, We'll slow cook the fillets um, over a plancher just to render down some of that fat, so you get that nice crispy lamb fat, that almost like that kind of roast lamb flavour coming from the the top layer of fat. We'll take that, and then um, we've got like a like a North African butter. I love those North African spices and things that kind of come through, you know, the, with the cumins and things. And 
we're rubbing that into um, into some of the meat, and we're making a sauce from that too, like a, a split jus, um, like a North African split split jus. Uh, we're doing it in that, and that's that's kind of staying on that style. We're doing it with some uh, some Israeli cous, uh, couscous, um, and we're doing it with some aubergine that we've just uh, cut down, and we've got some goats, uh, sorry, some used curd going on top top of there, some like crumbly used cheese going on top of there, and we're doing. Um, a smoked aubergine puree, um, like a charred red red pepper puree on there, just to give it some colour. You get that red and the and the lovely sort of grey from the uh, the smoked aubergine, um, and then we're just going to finish it off with that jus with a, a little bit of sort of Thai basilic, kind of like slightly aniseedy crest and things. Um, and that's it, really. You know, we're not going to do anything else to it. So it's lamb, aubergine, red pepper, some couscous, and uh, a kind of like North African spice jus. Do you know what what struck me though is so you know this is this is in the third series of my podcast so you have to imagine up until now I've I've spoken to a lot of chefs I've met a lot of chefs yeah. and on the whole you guys are perf- perfectionists you're never quite happy like tweaking around and so far yeah, everybody yeah. I've spoken to all the dishes that they've spoken me for are exactly what I've got in front of me. Nobody's been tempted to tweak around with it. Do you have to resist the temptation for events like this? You know, you say you're going to do a dish and then you have to stick to it. Um, I, I, we wouldn't put anything on the menu that we didn't believe in and we hadn't tried and tested. Um, you're leaving yourself open a bit then, aren't you? You know, and we, so we don't, we don't do that. Um, you know, listen. I don't. I, we may not go to the some of the lengths that some chefs do, where they will work on a dish for months and months and months and months. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, you know, listen. It's the land dish that we that we're cooking for this event is something that we uh, have had on. We trialed it. Our guests have in, have enjoyed it. And going back to your comments earlier on, do you not feel slightly nervous about going in and cooking this, you know, food for all these people <laughs> and with these chefs and things like that? And you know, it's we. We've I'm not trying to make and, you feel nervous, it. by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, no, no, but we've we, we've obviously trialed and tested the food, and you know, it, it's been received well by our, our guests. You know, our chefs have had a good look at it and things, our front of house and uh, things, and it's, it, it it was it was a it was a good eating dish. You know, so I, I wouldn't need to, I wouldn't want to tweak around with it because then I really would be would be nervous. Seriously, nervous <laughs> yeah, going you don't, into that. You don't want to be making any decisions last minute, do no. you? Exactly. <laughs> so the the final thing I always ask uh, all of my guests to wrap up the interview is just a tip. Uh, I call them sort of a chef hack, just a top mm. tip that you've picked up over your career, just to improve my cookery. Oh my god, that's such a um, a massive question to ask. Like there are so many little things. I mean, for me, it's. You know, you're never going to go far wrong with um, a, an amazing piece of fish or something that's super fresh or super wonderful. Um, never, I think the best tip I can give, I'll give two. One was I was taught in my early days was that salt will enhance flavour and pepper will only only mask it. So always enjoy, you ever use pepper in anything? We don't use pepper at all in, in our kitchen. Um we only use salt because I like the natural, the natural essence of food and things like that. And I think the main, my main tip, any I've been anything at all is that when you're cooking at home or doing any form of cooking, never rush. Like you should never rush. Like we get as cooks, we need to 
do things in, in an orderly and quick fashion, but we spend years of our lives learning how to do that and pass that information on to our junior chefs to ensure that we are serving food at, at how the guests at the rate the guests would like to eat it. Um, but if you're at home, just make time, you know, and just enjoy it as as a process because it, it, it's the it's the most wonderful thing ever to learn how to do. And and if if I could if I could do it in my own time. Um, Oh, I'd be the happiest man ever. <laughs> I really, really, really would. So never rush it. That's my biggest hack, I'd say. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, obviously, again, this episode is for hospitality action. So thank you for being in- involved in-, in the event. And like I say, it's something that I am a little bit jealous is is, is happening so far away from me in Leeds. I've always <laughs> think I'd, I'd be getting down there as soon as humanly possible because the more and more and more I'm talking to the people that are doing this event... Um, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to stay away. <laughs> yeah, it is, is going to be absolutely stunning. I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be to be um, a part of it. So certainly. And thank you so much for your time. It's been, it's been lovely to chat to you today. Thank you for coming on the Past Podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Finally, for this episode, I'm going to include the chat with Jude Karima. You may remember him from Great British Menu, and he also talks about his restaurant Kota. So welcome to the Past Podcast, mate. It's really nice to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. How did you get in touch and come about doing this event then? Um, well, this event uh, it just sounds quite incredible, doesn't it? <laughs> um, a great group of chefs um, and for charity at HA. So basically, basically, I was approached by the head of hospitality action in the southwest, a lovely chap called Stuart Matheson, and... Uh, we've done a few events together whether uh, for other charities and working alongside Cornwall College. And so I got this phone call from Stuart and I uh, said, would you like to do a rugby dinner for hospitality action? And I thought, you know, two of my favourite things in the world, rugby and charity and hospitality action and, and you know, uh, especially it did make it did make me think because obviously there's a there's a lot of uh, incredible chefs in the kitchen, so great chance to meet and you know catch up with some of those guys. But then if you are a rugby fan, there's some fantastic names attached to the event, so to meet some of those guys is going to be incredible, right? Absolutely, you know, so they are basically there's a list of some of the best chefs you'll see in the southwest. Um, some I haven't met, some I've worked with. Um, I've been on Great British Menu with uh, Dom Chapman and Josh Egerton. I've worked with Guy Owen uh, on a few things, and he's a mate of mine. Uh, and this is through all these kind of events. So for me, it's, it's a brilliant chance to network and talk to these guys and pick each other's brains. Um, uh, organ- I organised the uh, Port Thurman Food Festival as well, and that's when I met Paul Ainsworth. And it was such a lovely chat. So it would be nice to see those kind of people. I met Nathan at Law as well a few times. So a chance to cook alongside uh, such a massive crew. And also Michael Wignall's going to be there. Um, it's an unbelievable catch of chefs. So I'm, I'm glad to, uh, <laughs> if you're going to do charity, uh, I mean, what a great guy, uh, budget guy to do it with. It did make me think, actually, because I made that Great British connection as well, Great British menu connection. I wondered if mm. you'd have walked into the kitchen and expect cameras to be there and Matthew Fort to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a horrific thing, actually, uh, doing Great British menu, but I've, I've done it a couple of times. 
and uh it, yeah it's it's so, it's so unnatural coming into the into a kitchen and obviously you, you don't get a chance to cook against your peers very often um so yeah there's a lot of pressure um obviously you don't want to make a fool of yourself on tv um and um but yeah i think there's a competitive nature in all us chefs and uh this is why we want to push ourselves and i think there's no no worst way of pushing yourself uh, through that pain barrier by going on Great British Menu. But, I mean, on the shows and even straight away as soon as you picked up the phone, you come across mm. as such this positive attitude. Do you kind of like to take that into the kitchen as well? Because, you, you know, you're so energetic even now over the phone, your voice is energetic. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm known for boundless energy, obviously in the kitchen, poor only. Uh, but yeah, it's for me. It's so important that uh, we spend so much time in that kitchen. We've got to really enjoy it, don't we? So I try and create um, a really nice working environment for my chefs. And obviously, you know, they know uh, we're all there to work really hard, and we all want to reach certain levels of what we want to do in that kitchen. And uh, I mean, it's very rare that I get very annoyed, and I'm hoping that positivity comes through. Uh, to the customers and you know and and also you know it, there's nothing better than in the middle of service having a bit of banter with your chefs when you're under pressure and just having a bit of a laugh uh it's great i mean obviously you need to focus but at the same time you've got to enjoy what you do <laughs> and will you get stressed cooking for such a high number of people? Is that the one thing that could tip you over the edge, or is it all just good for good fun? <laughs> no, I, I mean I'm quite I'm quite a chill character. So uh, the cool way I like a to be chill. Yeah, well, I think the only time that you're, you're ever going to really panic is if you're slightly out of your depth because you haven't actually prepared your stuff properly um, and that's what i stress to my kitchen staff as well that uh the only time that you'll get stressed is if you haven't done your prep maybe you're not ready for service because once all your preparation is done that service as well it's supposed to be about it's supposed to be a, a, about a lot of fun uh but for this event yeah there's, there's a few there's a couple of hundred people isn't there and they'll be expecting the best because they, they look at that list of, uh, of chefs and uh so that the pressure will be there, but um, at the end of the day, it will be a practice dish, and I practiced it on uh, some uh, willing punters, uh, <laughs> and let's say it seemed to go down really, really well. <laughs> because when I when I actually wrote the uh, the dish, uh, there were a couple of stipulations I was given that had to be beetroot, had to be vegetarian, and it had to be a starter. So I thought, wow, oh, cool. So. Um, and that's where um, I came up with that. You know, so I kind of formed the idea of the dish from there. And uh, so I thought I'd better practice on somebody before I, I try and kill a couple of hundred people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is, even in, in events like this, then, you still ultimately work into a brief. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's always a brief. <laughs> there's always a brief. And there's always a standard that you've got to work to. Um, and, uh, I, I think that, you know, because there's two different people cook, uh, I'm, I'm sharing starters with Dom Chapman, I do believe. So That's correct, the, yeah. the, the, the element of competition is always going to be there. It's, of course we're going to say, yes, mate, we're just working together <laughs> and, uh, you know, let's, let's just see what we can do. We'll help each other out, you know, stuff that I want to absolutely have a bit of dish on Dom. Maybe mates, but honestly, I'm not. I don't want to be out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So that's good. So there is always, you know, a stipulation. And I think um, what we're going to do is uh, do our very best. I wanted to talk about your restaurant, Kota, because obviously when you do menus like this, ultimately what you're trying to do Mm. in one dish is show off a little bit of the style of food that's maybe happening in the restaurant. Um, and Absolutely. Es- and especially for yourself. I mean, to get the Bib Gourmand, it's three years running now, is it? Yeah, it's been, it's now, I think it's up to five years now. I think five it's years, year wow. Now. Yeah, we've got to update that website, sorry, Paul. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's been fantastic. And, and for us, that Bib is really important. Um, it's um, saying that we're achieving uh, a certain level um and also it's about our our price we, we try and do value for money uh for us we're in the darkest depths of cornwall and i love where we live it is super beautiful even today i'm looking i'm just looking out my window and it, i'm looking onto the sea and it is beautiful uh and sunny actually as i say that there's a black cloud coming over uh, <clears throat> so that bit is so important because it, what it says uh, to people there's great quality and value for money um, but yes, with these kind of events and, and what we do as um, <clears throat> with our menus, is that essentially I'm trying to use the best local ingredients. And I, I, I mean, I've got um, Asian blood. I mean, I'm, I'm half Maori, Chi- and I'm half Chinese and Malay. So I try and let that those flavours come out naturally, and that slight Asian flavours coming through. So even with my dish for the the event, it's. Uh, beetroot terim, balsam cheese, apple, celery, walnuts, you know, things that are all great in English, but I've got uh, some wasabi going through there. Uh, and so the wasabi is going to play the the uh, the bite, the heat, or the horseradish effect. We've got some lovely um, wasabi-flavoured sesame seeds for a bit of crunch. So there's always something. The beetroots are going to be marinated in some two-year-old soy. I shouldn't give away too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but, yeah, and, and that's where I, I layer my flavours so that what is seemingly quite a, a lovely Great British dish has had a slight twist on it with the Asian flavour. So that's what we try and do with all our dishes. It strikes me, though. I mean, obviously, there's there's always uh, when you come over to a country because you moved over to the UK from New Zealand. When you yes. come over, there's always a, a kind of cultural difference. But then, especially when you go to somewhere very remote, and then you start trying to do a very specific style of food, did yes. people sort of go against you at the at the at the very first times, or did it always feel that people were with you? Well, you know, it, it was very difficult. Moving down here to uh, West Cornwall, there wasn't very much, you know, influence, uh, uh, you know, um, Asian influence on the on the menus anywhere. Um, and so I moved down here now. I'm in my 14th year in Port Leven. And I remember um, the first time we moved down here, the first restaurant that we took on, we, we rented it, actually. Uh, and it was a place called The Smokehouse. And so we took on the lease on this place. And... Uh, the last owners of the place um, looked at my my new menu. Said, "Oh, so what kind of style of food you could do?" So, oh, here's the menu, and they took a look at this menu. And said, look, I tell you what, they're not going to like that food down here, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and um, and I had lots of different, you know, different flavors of things like chipotle chilies and uh, the wasabi and ginger and lemongrass and and lime leaves and. And, and, you know, things that I'm really familiar with and I've always cooked from New Zealand and um, and taking it through some of my restaurants that I ran in London. And so, yeah, at first, everybody was a bit shocked. 
by by the style of food and uh but they they were quite game actually and they've and um they took onto it uh quite quickly i think but um and obviously when you're down here it's all about local support um because of course tourism is important to Cornwall obviously but um what's going to get you through all year round is that local support and uh yeah, it took a couple of months, but people was really talking about it. And, yeah, so it was a bit of a change down here. So, uh, yeah, it was great. What strikes me as well is, you know, in those sort of times, that those sort of themes of loneliness and sort of feeling like you're up against it, and that's something that mm. certainly Hospitality Action look at as well because it can be quite a lonely industry at times. Oh, yeah. You know, in the, in those times when you are feeling a little bit like that, is it just a case of really believing in what you're doing? That is it. And, you know, when, if I go back to the last point um, of I only cooked my own style, I can't cook food. Uh, you just can't cook food just to make people happy that they want it. You know, you've got to cook from the heart. And and that's what all people's food, you know, all the chefs that I think that I've met, they cook from the heart and what they love to eat and they really want to produce they don't want to listen to anybody else and it's not going against the grain you like you're just saying you've got to believe in your talent and believe in what you want to produce to um uh, you you think these people are going to come into your restaurant and enjoy um your food and there are some dark dark places that you have to go into i think as an owner um, I used to do, the boys, boys used to clock me doing 110 hours a week. Um, and you just get completely exhausted, but you're trying too much. You're trying to do, I was trying to do breakfast and then brunch. And then I had a early, early lunch menu, then a lunch menu, then a between lunch and dinner menu. And we're cooking all day uh, and cooking all through the whole day. And uh, it's only because you want to try and produce the best. And at times, you know, you just get so exhausted and, and things aren't working. Uh, yeah, it can be quite difficult. So you've got to keep your chin up and just keep on doing it. And uh, so hopefully this is, why, this is why we want to do these charities and support hospitality, hospitality action. Because I think in a way, a lot of the chefs, we all have been there, but we've got to stay positive and we've got to tell our story as well about how to get through it all. See, I'm going to approach my next line of conversation with a, uh anticipation because I, I i often compare it to talking to a, a musician about their greatest hit um because mm. normally people just want to kind of talk about what's coming up now but i can't let you go without talking about the rock pool dish oh the rock pool dish oh yeah uh the rock pool dish <laughs> Guys, sorry i don't know if that's like reticence or oh no no there's always a version of the rock pool it's like a guess people want to see the rock pool and it's it's a great fun dish. Um, one of the nice things about um, with the Great British Menu uh, with the chefs um, that I was on, but there was Dom and Josh, and there was Emily Watkins, who was the judge for that. And um, all four of us, after that, uh, the first time I was on there, we did a dinner in each person's restaurant, um, and they all wanted me to do the rock pool. And uh, I said, okay, I'll do the bloody rock pool. But by the end of it, um, they were cursing that bloody rock pool because they knew how many different elements were on that dish. Looked great for TV, but honestly, you know, <laughs> we're doing dinners for 60 to 70 people. And uh, the amount of elements on there, they were so sick of that rock pool. I just say, you guys made me do this bloody rock pool. So you're going to just 
you know, grin and bear it. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a great fun dish. And um, I, I was really, it's one of those, those, I was really proud of that dish because it, it, it was uh, the theme that year uh, for the Great British Menu was um, WI, a Women's Institute. And so that dish was all about family time and family values. And uh, one of the, my most uh, enjoyable things to do on any time off is to take my son down to the rock pools in Port Leven and we'll do some foraging and we'll go pick some, uh, you know, some mussels. Uh, we'll go shrimping. Uh, we'll pick seaweeds for the restaurants and sea vegetables on the cliffs. Uh, and, you know, he just loved it. He used to go down there with this little rounded pocket knife and, and pick things with me. And, and things even like limpets. We'll pick limpets and we'll cook the limpets. I mean, everyone looks at these limpets and go, oh, these useless pieces of shell clinging to a rock but man they are delicious uh and for me that was what family values is about so i tried to get a dish that would reflect that and that's when i came up with the rock pool with the the different seaweeds and the you know and the, the freedom air basically that uh, came through on that dish so uh and i i, I loved it so uh, it's still on that menu, but <laughs> it changes uh, with what's in season. And uh, and uh, so I think the one today is, is is a bit different and maybe a little bit more simplistic because it is a, a very busy <laughs> You learned your lesson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I took it down to 55 elements, Paul, rather than 200. No. So listen, all I can say is thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your, your chat today. Um, Brilliant. Jude, you, like you say, you're doing the starter on one of the starters on the menu for the rugby dinner. It sounds like it's going yes. to be a fantastic event. I really encourage yeah. people to buy tickets if they haven't already. And thank you so much for your time. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, thank mate. You very much. All the best. Cheers. So thank you for listening. That was the first of the two episodes for the Rugby Legends Dinner for Hospitality Action. Thank you for today's episode. Sponsors, Suvi Tools. And if you want to find more about how you can get involved with Hospitality Action, simply visit their website. It's hospitalityaction.org.uk. Cheers.